Our borders are down the nation is overrun. It may be time to abandon the conventional understanding of what a nation is, as the old one is not working. A nation is considered to be the property of a people, but there is no group that can be identified as the people of the nation, at least not in the white western nations, WWN. Property can be acquired by birth. The nation grows as the population expands into new lands. Nations can grow by war and the capture of adjacent lands, sometimes along with the resident population. But people do not make a nation any more than they make a church. Many nations are divided along tribal, racial, and political lines. Sometimes the division is so deep that they war one with the other. Some nations, like churches, are torn asunder by the conflict. In fact, the concept of people as a group of individuals distorts the way we ought to think about people, especially when we are talking about a nation or church. The concept of the nation makes it seem as if the nation is a people united. But the people are just individuals juxtaposed in the same geographical area. The geography of a nation is one of the most artificial things ever created. Armies at war can be physically closer than the subjects of a nation are. Meaning, physical proximity does not make us friends or even compatible. If couples were forced to live in the same house, divorce would not happen, but the absence of separations would not mean there would be more happier marriages. But to be part of a nation means a very diverse group of persons are forced to cohabit the same space. Even if the space between individuals is considerable, the fact is the rules of one apply to all. If this did not matter, there would be no need for elections. If the laws we live under did not matter, elections would not be so hotly contested. The problem with the nations of the West is they were not organic in their creation. In the case of the Americas, they were captured by Europeans and modeled after their European homelands. But since they were more European than being English, or French of Spanish, the peoples in them were more diverse than were the nations of continental Europe. Perhaps more thought might have been given to the history of Europe in creating the melting pot. Even if we had continued taking people from all over Europe there may have been more thought given to the feasibility of multiculturalism and the unmitigated virtues of living in a diverse culture. It is pointless thinking about what we ought to have done, what is done is done. But we must not focus on the symptoms and forget to look at the real problem. It is less important to look at where we are at this moment, as it is to look at what in our culture put us on a path not taken anywhere else in the world. Why is our open border policy even extended to befriending those who historically have sought to destroy us? We need to think about how the policy of appeasement became predominant. One of the major issues is the nation-state. The nation-state is considered a great innovation, and perhaps it was when nations were naturally homogenous. The original nations developed out of extended families that developed tribal groupings that were then brought together under one ruler. The nation gives a people their land and a way to organize the various subgroups. But an election to choose the chief elder to lead a homogenous people is one thing. A vote to decide which leader of moral enemies with diverse and incompatible values will rule both groups is another. 
Think of the difficulty Canada has trying to navigate between the groups that make it up. There are the native English and French settlers which have never got along well historically speaking. Mixed with this is the Christians, Catholics, and Muslims and atheists. Then, we have conservatives and liberals. Mixed in with all of these groups are hundreds of native tribes who do not even consider themselves Canadian, do not get along with each other historically, and are opposed to the presence of other peoples on what they consider to be their lands. These are only the major players. What election based on which policy platform will make even two of these groups equally happy? Will Muslims be happy with anything less than Sharia law? Will the French be content until the French language is the official language and Quebec a sovereign nation? Will atheists settle for anything other than the eradication of all religion and religious influences? The only way all of these groups can be governed is by disavowing the seething discontent. Liberals will try and dismiss the concerns. If you are a liberal and you want to discredit the concerns that come with diversifying the political and religious landscape, name one group that will sacrifice their values. Find one Frenchman who will no longer prioritize the French language or an atheist who will convert to Islam. Try and get any group to moderate their demands in an environment in which people believe diversity is our strength and white people of British descent do not have a culture. The basic policy of liberal governments appears to have races, religions and cultures unite in decimating the peoples and cultures of the West. But once the new Jews have been eradicated, who will be the next target? We know Islam and liberalism are not going to get along in perpetuity. It is reasonable to assume it will be liberal secular atheists on the liberal hit list, as there is no one who is willing to protect them but white Western Christians. What the right lacks is the intellectual or epistemological tools needed to counteract their counterparts on the left. If we look at Eastern philosophy as encapsulated by liberalism, we see it directed by dictators and absolutism. At the heart of liberalism is what most of us call Eastern despotism. The idea behind Eastern despotism is that the common person cannot administrate his or her own affairs. The boss man has to intervene. Liberalism is the politics of exceptionalism which is governance by experts. The nation is just a political jurisdiction administrated by a despot. Despots come in all forms and have different amounts of power, but invariably the despot has access to the property of the jurisdiction and through this, power over the subjects of the jurisdiction. Anyone who has access to what you created is technically a despot. We become serfs because we are attached to the land controlled by the despot. The despot owns the land through the power of his office and so controls those on it. The people are serfs because we are subjects of the state, meaning subjugated to its regulations. If we are governed, we are owned. Subjects are not chattel slaves, but it is slavery, nonetheless. Subjects are owned by the state. The person is not owned but the legal identity you live as, is owned by the state that licensed it. Being a subject of a state gives us some power but ultimately the power belongs with the state even if not specifically the property of the state's agents. The nation, as configured, is a liberal construction. 
Normal people do not live there. Nations have rulers and followers and rules that only insane people would need. The nation is a playpen for the incurably infantile, meaning adults that identify as dependents. No spiritually mature person needs to be part of any liberal organization. We have the capacity to live normal lives. Normalcy is not achieved by giving authority to a third-person administrator. Norms need to look beyond the nation if we are to get rid of liberalism.